Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. Have you ever felt a knife cut through human flesh and scrape the bone beneath? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Be my victim. My name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the Would You Die podcast, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, I am joined by accomplished comic book writer. You know titles of his, including Together Forever, Tag Along, and the upcoming horror anthology, Morsels. Please welcome my friend, J. Michael Donahue. Hey, hello. Welcome, welcome. Today, we are... One, talking about your horror anthology, Morsels. But the villain topic of the day is, I hesitate to say the king of horror anthologies. <laughs> but I'm going to say it. The king of horror anthologies. We're going to be talking about Sam from Trick or Treat. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely probably the the horror anthology connective tissue host that has the biggest body count. <laughs> Uh, I I think you're good. I think you're right on that one. <laughs> but yeah, welcome to the show. I'm really happy to that you're on. We're, since we're talking about horror anthologies, it's safe to say you're a horror fan, aren't you? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With Morsels being a horror anthology and it being a, a very what's the word I'm looking for varied anthology like there's everything in this there's um zombies ghosts uh, kaiju <laughs> you don't see kaiju <laughs> too often i guess what i'm trying to ask is what about the anthology structure fascinates you oh man um in, in any of them i just love the variety that you can get and you know seeing different monsters i think also too you know, there are very few horror anthologies that I feel like you leave without having a good time. Maybe not every segment, you know, connects with you or hits you just right. But it's, you know, there's ample opportunity for for fun, um, different stories that you can possibly connect with. Um, and, and I think it's just, I, I don't know, there's just something fun about it. It's 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 got a very sitting by the campfire kind of feel to it, you know? Um, it's almost like you're sitting there with a bunch of friends and each one gets to tell their own story to who scares the, you know, the other people more. Yeah. I love that. It, um, it kind of, it kind of reminds me cause when I was growing up, I was really, really big into the Simpsons and oh, yeah. <laughs> I had like the first couple of seasons on DVD and I would watch those all the time, but those early Treehouse of horrors, those are some of my favorite things. So when you mentioned like trying to scare each other, I'm like, oh, that is exactly the plot of the very first one. <laughs> is there? Oh yeah, I scary stories. Yeah, you bring those up because um, just talking with my wife, and it's really funny because I remember the Treehouse of Horrors being like the pinnacle of The Simpsons for me. Um, I mean, those those were the things that I think I remember the most about the show, and. Uh, just recently, you know, Disney Plus around Halloween, since they have Simpsons now, they'll put like a list. You just watch all of them. So we started watching them and I was quite shocked at how far they go with their jokes, especially in those opening, <laughs> uh, the opening. 
Um, I mean, some of them were there. Simpsons, I mean, all they, you know, basically on, uh, uh, you know, all hang together. <laughs> you see their feet. Uh, I mean, there's some that you're like, oh man, that 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 goes a lot farther than I ever remember. <laughs> oh, they they definitely get wild, and uh, I'm a I'm a fan. I do not want this to unintentionally turn into a Simpsons podcast, which we're verge, we're teetering on that line. But I do have to ask: Do you have a favorite Treehouse of Horror segment? Oh, um, I had to pick, and I can't remember if they're in the same episode or not. But I think the the one with groundskeeper Willie kind of spoofing a Nightmare on Elm Street is pretty awesome. But I have to give it to Bram Stoker's Dracula spoof. Mm. Um, only because I think the best part is just Homer. And when he's killing with a stake, he's like, die, die. And he goes, uh, that's his crotch. Oh, sorry. You know, pulls the stake back <laughs> out and then, you know, hammers it in his, his chest. Yeah. Like it just, just I, that's just one of my favorites. I love that. I have to shout out the groundskeeper Willie as Freddy Krueger one as well. I actually have a Funko pop of that, which is one of my favorite, uh, <laughs> Funko pops. And then I want to give an, give a shout out to the one i i think it's just called king homer where homer's king kong that one's pretty good um i uh i listen uh a lot to the king cast and they just mm-hmm. had an episode not too long ago i think it was yeah it was one of their main episodes but um they covered the shinning and so that one's always pretty good because i always just remember the uh no beer and no tv make homer go something something <laughs> then Marge says go crazy don't mind if I do I'm so glad you brought that up because I was just about to say my favorite is the shinning and and that's like I think about that don't mind if I do all the time well that and uh <laughs> I don't know what is it just because it's such a non I want to say nonchalant but it's just like uh almost like it feels like a throwaway joke but like when they're standing there and the elevator opens and the blood comes out, but like <laughs> Mr. Burns is just like, that's funny. That usually gets off on the second floor. Like, like, okay. And like, I, I think it's a perfect segment, but I just have to say real quick, I love the very beginning where they're kind of doing the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the dri- they're driving up to the hotel. It's like, <laughs> Homer, did he remember to lock the door? No. And it goes from Monday to Tuesday. Homer, I think we left the stove on. No. And then it goes Tuesday to Wednesday. And Lisa's just like, I think we left Grandpa. And they keep driving. (laughs) I do love that. It's like, uh, it's no one good. What about Grandpa? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That one, that one's my favorite. But yeah, there's so many, so many of them are good. But I'm going to, I'm going to steer us steer us away before we get trapped in the (laughs) the simpsons vortex when did your horror fan journey begin oh man i don't you know i man, i don't know if i have anything specific one of one of the probably the earliest ones i remember watching um and it's not like i wouldn't say like a true horror um the monster squad that's still one of my favorite movies there's just something about it that you know it's got a special place in my heart um, just having the like, Goonies go basically against the Universal Monsters is just awesome. But I also remember, uh, I have an older brother. He's about five years older than me. So I think there were certain things he'd watch that, uh, you know, I'd watch with him that probably I shouldn't have been watching. Um, the other thing that I find funny 
and one of my, one, one memory that I remember is like I would always go to Blockbuster, and I remember going to the movie section. I'd go to the horror section. I'd be looking through, looking at the cup, co- you know, video cassette uh, covers, and seeing you know, you know, which movie do I want to rent? And my mom was always pretty open to letting me watch horror movies. I think the what kind of baffles me now, <laughs> I just kind of chuckle at it is, I'd show her and she'd look at it. And it would either be one she's seen, so she kind of knows what I'm getting into, or she look at it and she goes, "Okay, well, there's no nudity in it," <laughs> which, which then I'd be, I, I was thinking, "Sweet, I get to see this movie." Yes, yeah, she's not going to tell me no, but now I'm kind of like, yeah, "Okay, well, you're okay with a guy with a, a glove with knives on his hand <laughs> chopping people up or killing them in their dreams, but nudity's where you draw the line." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. um, but no, I mean, but I, yeah, but I mean, I would say I, I would watch like um, Nightmare on Elm Street was a big one. I always loved Halloween. Like I said, uh, you know, we were kind of talking earlier, uh, werewolf movies. Were always, mm-hmm. I'm always a sucker for good werewolf movies. So, you know, The Howling and American Werewolf in uh, London. I mean, God, I even, I can't even believe I did love it. But like, I remember when in the early, let's see, like late 90s when American Werewolf in Paris came out. And oh. I remember really digging that. I've watched it again recently. There's something nostalgic about it that I kind of like, but it's not necessarily a good movie. (laughs) You know what? It's not the worst. I mean, it's not the worst werewolf movie. Don't get me wrong. It's one of the, you know, I'm like, okay, I can watch this and laugh at it. But it definitely feels like a late 90s, early 2000s horror movie. (laughs) As uh, someone who's never seen an American werewolf in Paris... Is it that bad when a movie's bad? Like, <laughs> nah, I mean, like I said, I don't I know mean, why people get so upset. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I do and I don't. I, I think mm-hmm. as I love an American werewolf in London, I think, and what the bar that it set for werewolf movies, I think any type of idea of trying to remake that just kind of puts a bad taste in your mouth. And, and I feel like yeah. if, and I feel like even a, them doing that movie as you watch it i think the only reason they titled it that is to make it feel like it's a sequel or to kind of piggyback off that ip because while there are certain things that obviously are similar or the same there are also concepts that have been in other werewolf movies so i think it was to me it's kind of like hey we got this werewolf idea all right well let's shoehorn it into this ip and kind of go from there and so i think that kind of probably yeah, kind of hurt it more than it helped it, to be honest. Oh, for sure, because now there's like a set expectation. I get that. Yeah, and, and it and it's never it's not like a sequel. There's nobody that pops up from the original, like that pops up from the original or anything like that. <laughs> I think really it just it was trying to be a remake without being a remake, and I think that's why it kind of left a bad taste in people's mouths. Um, and, and you also coupled with the not great late 90s cgi Mm. you know going from that i mean basically going from what they did with the practical effects i mean that you know what i mean to not great cgi you know also is kind of a step down that that is so interesting because american werewolf in london's my favorite werewolf movie and it's like top 10 horror movie for me um i think the world of that film But it's interesting because the late 90s is kind of notorious for having really bad CGI. But I'm thinking about it. I'm like, well, the early 90s had Jurassic Park and Terminator 2. 
So it felt you know, like they figured it out and then they took a huge step back. <laughs> yeah. Well, but here, here's my thing, though. If you look at Jurassic Park, and I think that's one of the first that really started using CGI, if I'm not mistaken, they coupled it, you know, kind of kind of married it, I guess, with practical effects. Right. So I think yeah. that's why it sticks. The same for Cameron. I think why Cameron pushed it further. And I mean, James Cameron's always been one that's going to really push the technology and make it look you know obviously you know fantastic but those two i think they looked at it as this is what they could be when we marry it with practical effect but the problem is is that i think once studios got it they're like hey we can do this cheap and fast or hey we can do this with cgi and not let's not put money into the practical effects we can save money just doing it cgi and since they weren't quite there with it you know things kind of look lackluster now that's exactly that's exactly it, and we're and we're still dealing with that. I'm not going to name any movies or our uh, studios in particular, so because I don't want to call out the Marvel movies, but <laughs> but there's yeah. a lot of movies that uh they just think they can do everything CGI when really they have the resources to do half and half and make it look really good. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, there's certain things like, if, I mean, if you wanted to tiptoe in the MCU, I mean, you can't, I mean, there's no way to practically do Thanos, you know, and I thought, yeah. I think that stuff like that looked really well. I think the other thing that I, I don't know if, if certain people just have gotten spoiled with certain things, um, and maybe that's a bad way to put it, but like, when you look at it, the other problem is, I think a lot is, is marketing, um, mm. And I think, and I think what it is with the changes is that is that like I remember, uh, maybe this you know makes me sound really old, but I mean I remember when it, there weren't huge marketing ploys, there weren't trailers for trailers for trailers. <laughs> you know right. What I mean, like now we have a teaser trailer for the trailer that comes out tomorrow, and then yeah, you know, so on and so forth. Which don't get me wrong, some are really cool, but we just you, you didn't have that. You had your main trailer, and then you maybe had a second. And then maybe a couple TV spots, you know, that, that was it. And so a lot of stuff was maybe posters and it was word of mouth. And so now I think the problem is, is that we're so spoiled with, you know, streaming and sitting there and binge watching things. And like, once one thing's done, I got to have the next thing, like keep bringing it. It's that studios are like, all right, well, we got to get a trailer out. We got to get a trailer out. Well, they get it out and the, the effects aren't quite done. You know, and because I would say a huge amount of the time, what you see in the trailer and then what you see in the finished project, the finished project is 95% of the time, it's always better or good than what it was in the trailer. You know, like, but but everybody just gets up in arms like, oh, this is going to be awful. This is going to be well, terrible, you know? No, I agree with you there. Um, Where I'm going to, where I think the problem with at least in particular Marvel is they're doing so much. I think they're spreading themselves thin because uh, a lot of their, you go into these movies now, they're doing four movies a year and you see them in the theater and it, it still looks like the effects are unfinished. Well, yeah. I, I, and you know, they're, I, but they're trying to do four movies a year when four TV shows on top of that. No, and, I, and I'm sure the animators, so much, the people yeah. they have are, are spread thin. And oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I, I think that's but but to Marvel's credit to a degree, at least 
what mm-hmm. it seems like some of the things I've read is that they're pulling back the amount of shows that they're putting out a year and they are, you know, maybe looking at like what they're doing for movies. So maybe they're hearing, okay, this is too much. We need to slow down, you know, and kind of see what we can do. So, and it doesn't, you know, you're not spraying your employees so thin. Yeah. You know, and and, yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't want to, I'm not a, I'm a Marvel fan actually. So, but I'm just like, I watch some of them and I'm just like, oh, really, guys? I'm I'm rooting for you. <laughs> yeah. And like, well, but like, I some, love the so. new Doctor Strange. That was a lot of fun to have you do it. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because uh, it's amazing how much it feels like a kid's version of Evil Dead sometimes. <laughs> That's like, what I'm telling so everyone. Like a, like a kid's version of Evil Dead. And I'm just yes. like, Yes. I mean, don't give me, and I don't say that as in derogatory in any fashion. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely awesome. But just kind of, you know, it kills me. And just like, wow. <laughs> it, it also makes me think, or not think, wonder how or Scott Derrickson was wanting to do with his version of Evil Dead 2 before it got passed on to Raimi. Because I remember me and my brother-in-law, like we've always been real big into Marvel um and kind of talking about the next big thing they were doing and you know for a while there it was kind of cool because mm-hmm. it was like winter soldiers coming out oh it's an espionage movie oh this you know this is awesome hey this is coming out all right ant-man hey this is a heist movie oh that's cool yeah. it feels different and then when they talk about you know uh dr strange 2 they're like oh it's gonna be the first marvel horror movie i was like oh yeah like heck yeah let's do it you know and and then i know there's creative differences in this and that so i wonder if he just I mean, Sam Raimi's out here snapping Professor X's neck and other things. Right. <laughs> so, like, how dark is he wanting to go? So, I I don't know what what was um in those uh, talks, but I think it, I think in hindsight, it all worked out for the best. We got a new Sam Raimi movie. Scott Derrickson was able to go and make the Black Phone, and I loved the Black Phone. So uh, I, lo- I loved the Black Phone. And uh, he stayed on as an executive producer, so it was um, an amicable split. So it's not like there was bad blood or anything. Yeah. But but it's interesting to kind of peer into uh, the multiverse, if you will, and see what these alternate timelines would have been. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. So, yeah, we're... We're doing great on tangents. We talked about Visifex. <laughs> we talked about werewolves. Talked about the MCU, but we should talk about morsels. I really want to talk about your your comic anthology coming out. Yeah, art is out coming out. You explain it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I mean, we we talked about all of this earlier, but morsels. Mm-hmm. Um, I called it a collection of eight delectably bite sized horror stories. So terrifying, you'll be screaming for more. <laughs> but um. <laughs> But, but a lot of it is is that, you know, I kickstarted it last year. And, you know, it, it was one of those things where I had had a few, you know, shorts, comic shorts kind of sitting on my computer that, you know, I got to work with a lot of really cool artists and I loved having them. And I was just trying to think, you know, how can I get them out there? And so I had the idea to kind of do a collection and kind of wrote and had a few more uh, produced. And, and the idea, I think what started is, eh, this will be just a, you know, fun little collection, like, 
it just snowballed from there. Like I thought it would be cool. Like if, you know, the old creepy magazines and things like that. Um, so we added the fake ads in there. Um, and I think one of my favorite on that one is, you know, the centerfold is the old mask, like send in. Um, yeah. And that one, and that one uh, was done by Adam Cahoon, who is actually the artist on uh, monster under the bed. And he had a lot of fun with that. <clears throat> and, and, you know, just a couple of Easter eggs of horror movies and things like that, that we kind of talked about. I really like it because a couple of the characters that are masked are actually like comic characters that I really liked from a couple of uh, ongoing series. And so I had talked to those creators and like, Hey, can we do this? And they're like, sure. Put it in there. So that was a, lo- a really fun ad. But what I like about morsels and I think what I wanted to represent for horror is that I feel like there are almost eight different styles in this book. Like to me, stylistically, none of the stories feel the same. Um, I tried to make, you know, different themes and different monsters in each one, because I feel like there's so much variation in horror. That's what I love about it. It's not Mm -hmm. just one thing. And, And in that, I wanted to show that horror knows no, I guess, like style or look. Like, yeah, you know, it, anybody can do horror and be, you know, scary about it and kind of invoke, you know, invoke those fears um, or, you know, even some of them laughs like that's, you know, it, I think that's a big thing we were talking about, like I said, going back to American Werewolf in London, you know, John, one of John Landis's biggest thing. And a lot of creators have talked about this and filmmakers is that horror and comedy go together, you know, Sometimes, you know, there, if you do them, you know, just that right combo, it, it's a perfect mesh because that, you know, the comedy aspect, one, kind of gives you a little bit of release from tension because you don't want to be constantly on the edge of your seat and feel like yeah. you're going to have a heart attack. You know, you need, the, you need that little bit of, you know, relief. But what I love about comedy is that sometimes, you know, it, it pulls you in and almost gives you this false sense of security. And then, bam, the horror just, you know, is that more shocking when it, ha- when it hits you. Yeah. So that's what I loved about this. And I, I, I hope people kind of get about it is that, you know, it's so different. Something I, why well, I had like, after I read it, because you gave me the opportunity to read it and thank you once again for doing that. But something I noticed when I read it are, I had to like go back and, because you mentioned how there's so many styles and that's very apparent from the different artists that are doing it. But I, actually thought there were eight different writers because these stories were so diverse and i had to go back i'm like oh my god no you wrote every single one (laughs) yeah 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 they're all stories that i wrote i thought Uh, yeah i I thought that was awesome you're flexing so many creative muscles (laughs) yeah and you know what i i find is that these were a great exercise doing short stories in general for any writer that's trying to hone their craft or, you know, even break in or do anything. One is a great way because obviously the less pages, the cheaper it is to produce, but not even is is that it really makes you stop and think what is necessary to my story. What is not, you know, what do I absolutely have to have? What can I cut? And so there were a lot of them where, you know, I had paid uh, page restrictions because the artist was like, hey, I, I can maybe fit in this many pages into my schedule. All right, fine. I'm writing you something, you know, a banger with that many pages. <laughs> For sure, yeah. You know, there were some of those and and uh, 
you know, others, you know, just like they're, I don't know. It was just a variety of things. Um, Crushed is a funny one uh, because Jeremy Simster is the artist on that one. And he was a guy, it's funny. He, uh, his main thing is he is a storyboard artist and he's done a lot of stuff for Marvel, like a lot of their stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so makes me happy about that story is, I mean, we had kind of chatted about different things and we're kind of friendly, but uh, I had written a few of the, the stories and put them out on this one website, just kind of had them around. But he came to me and said, hey, I kind of want to do something with you, like write me something. So that was a little bit of an ego boost, made me feel good that, you know, an artist is coming to me and saying, hey, I want to work with you. You know, what, what, yeah. what do you got for me? That's awesome. I love how, uh, yeah, how, how how you said earlier so brilliantly, how diverse Morsels is. Because like, and then like these artists want to work with you and you give them the opportunity to, I, you're already flexing your creative muscles. They get to flex theirs. And Morsels is kind of like this creative, not mismatch, but it, like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it feels like a sampler of the horror genre. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I think what I tried to do is I like, obviously I have my favorite monsters, you know, I've got a werewolf story in there, but I also wanted to try and find like, what are some creatures? What are some, you know, nightmares that don't get a lot of attention? Like El, the El Cuco story. Like mm-hmm. to me, this kind of this, this boogeyman that comes and takes naughty children and stuff like that. Like that to me is frightening. And really funny about that story. I kid you not. I can't remember what year it was. So it's probably good in the last like three to four years. I wrote this story and Christian Dabari, who is a phenomenal artist and a good friend of mine now, he was somebody that I was like, Hey man, do you have, you know, opening to do something. Hey, do you have an opening to do something? And he, you know, he's, he's busy, you know, he's got a lot of work, which is good for him. Um, and then finally, that's when I was like, Hey, I have the story. Could you do it? Hey, yeah, I can fit it in. So we did it. Kid you not, he drew it. I had the inked pages and then wouldn't, you know, but Stephen King right around the time the outsider come out and I'm like, Oh, I'm real excited for this story. And and then I, you know, this is before the show, but then they're like, Oh yeah, the outsider's about El Cuco. I'm like, come on. <laughs> like I can't put this story out now. Everybody's just gonna be like, "Oh, well, look, this guy's trying to be Stephen King over here, ripping off Stephen right. King." So that story, I think, sat on my hard drive for about a year. Finished, and then finally, I think after time, I was like, "You know what? It's different. People do this all the time. Even Stephen King's done stories that are pretty similar to somebody else." You know, so I'm like, "You know, whatever. I'm putting it out." So had it colored, had it lettered. And then we put it out there. But yeah, I think I even got off track now where we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy. It's uh, easy it's to easy. do. It's easy. Believe yeah, you me. <laughs> <laughs> I like the point that every artist, every artist sometimes tells a story so- a little similar to what came before, because that's just storytelling in nature, I think. But like, and there are some people who could be like, Oh, he just stole that from him, and it's just like I, it's not that malicious, my dude. Sometimes uh, yeah, what? you do it unconsciously, you know. And it's like you didn't even, and you did it first, like uh, the the El Cuco. I can't even say it, but you know what? I, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, well, and it's like it's it's not something new, and, and so that that right. was cool. And you know, I kind of got over myself. Like I said, it is what it is. Put it out there. What I also like, and and what I like to try and do, and not, not say everything, some things just straight up scary story, but I mm-hmm. like to try and 
expectation like the first story together forever is what i'm proud of and it's funny that's actually the first comic i've had that i wrote well that i wrote and had produced and it's real funny as i i this, it was an idea that was always just kind of in the back of my mind i wanted to do it and uh i got out there and i was like hey put it on or on twitter like hey are there any artists out there that would want to team up with me on this three-page story and that's when uh J jeremiah chic who is the artist on it he messaged me is like hey yeah sure i love you know creep show i love this i love you know horror anthologies and this and that and he's like let's let's do it and it's really i think my steps forward are all thanks to him or he's the one to blame if people don't like my stuff but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but what i loved about him is he puts his all in his work he really believed in the story you know i thought it was just a hey i've got something to show people now like that was kind of my expectation with it. Uh, you know, I could put it on Twitter. It's three pages, but uh, we finished it. And he was like, Hey, I really like this. I'm, I've done some work for this guy over at hyperepics.com, which is a really cool uh, website that does it. It's whole thing is it's all three page comic. Like everything's three pages. And so he was like, I know the editor over there. I'd really want to submit this. Do you mind? It's like, sure. They're not going to want it, but you know, I was like, sure, you can submit it. I think yeah. by the next day he was like, Hey, they want to, they want to publish it. I was like, uh, what? <laughs> I was like, awesome. You know? And so they put it on there. And, uh, I think through that, I did a couple shorts with, with Jeremiah. I did one with, uh, Lane Lloyd for hyper epics, which is in here too. Uh, first kiss is, is the one I did with Lane Lloyd. Mm, um, yeah. and they're an awesome artist. They have a real signature style that I really love. And, in this kind of grew, you know, grew from that. And again, I've gone off a tangent and don't remember where we were originally, but no worries. <laughs> <laughs> oh, subverting expectations. There you go. Yeah. Um, but to me, Together Forever really does that because and maybe it's been done before. A lot of people said they liked it, but it, you know, you have a zombie apocalypse, it's a plague, it's the freaking end of the world. And yeah. uh, most people will be like, oh God, you know, you see Walking Dead, you see this, it's like life sucks. But you have somebody that's like, hey, maybe this is a miracle. You know, the dead are coming back. And so I feel like that's not a point of view you see much with the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> so that's kind of what right, I, you yeah. know, I, I was trying to go for that story. I know, you know, we talked about earlier, that one is another one where you feel like, okay, you know, it, it's kind of got a little bit of mixed with Godzilla, <laughs> you know, yeah. everything. Uh, and, and so that one, you're like, oh, okay, he's, you know, saving her he's a good guy and really he's like okay well i gotta kill her to do this you're like oh well kind of what a d-bag just threw her off the roof you know talking yeah. about you this and then really you know well too bad for you <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> so yeah so there, there's a, a lot of those things um i don't want to get in too many spoilers you know things are going on but for sure uh but yeah i, I always i always want to try my hardest not to necessarily like it's like twist oh haha you know i'm pulling the wool over your eyes you never saw right. this coming but you know just that little bit of oh okay that's different oh that's you know i didn't think of yeah. you know the story could go there yeah you want to be fresh yeah well, as best as i can i mean every yeah just about every story has been told somehow when you break down exactly. stories they've been told over and over and over and over so at this point the important thing is is that can you create characters that you're readers can fall in love with that can root for that you know that's where i feel like in a lot of horror movies that's where that fear and dread come from is that you see yourself in these characters you fall in love with a character 
and then you're scared for them. I don't want them to die. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I, I want them to, you know, I, I, I want them to live. I want them to make it to the end. I want, you know, the fi- I want them to be the final girl, you know, or final guy or whoever, you know, to, to be victorious at the end. And so I think that's, you know, important. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've seen plenty of horror movies that I love where, hey, I hate all these people and let's see how, you know, gory they can die, you know? Exactly. But, uh, but sometimes, sometimes you're rooting for Jason Voorhees. <laughs> exactly. Get her, get her, come on. <laughs> um, but I think that's what's so important. Like if you look at yeah. some of like the great ones, like uh, one of my favorite, if you look at like Poltergeist, like Poltergeist uh, is one of my favorite haunted house movies. And and for much of it, it doesn't feel like it, it feels like a family drama. It feels like, yeah, yeah you, know, you start to feel for this family and, and want her to be okay. And so that's why it's all the more scary when things are starting to happen to them and things escalate. And, you know, and character is so important because you can find a lot of similarities between all sorts of different projects where if you strip them to the bare bones, they're basically the same thing. But the way you tell the story, the way you craft the characters, they become extremely different. So, for example, I'm thinking of an iconic horror villain who pray, who they kill children, they mess with their mind, they can transform into anything, and they do a lot of psychological torture, really, before they kill the kids. Am I talking about Pennywise, or am I talking about Freddy Krueger? Yeah, and what's funny is the whole time you're saying this, I'm like, oh, Freddy, oh, it could be Pennywise. Well, Freddy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean. They're, if you strip them down to that bare bones, they're the same, but they are completely different characters. Their characterizations are so different. I mean, the easy one you could do is Michael and Jason, right? A uh, big silent killer. But yeah. I, I wanted to go with the more, uh, the in my opinion, the more fun comparison. The, 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 spl- the splashier. Film. Yeah, the the one that the one that's gonna make me work harder to find the similarities <laughs> are like, let's take my favorite movie of all time, Jurassic Park. Is Jurassic Park not basically anti capitalist Frankenstein? I mean, yeah, in a way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like, uh, West Side Story is Romeo and Juliet in the inner city with racism. Like that's West Side Story, right? Yeah. So, but that doesn't mean Jurassic Park or West Side Story are unoriginal. They, those are some of them, like, I don't want to say the most original, but like, those are stories that will stand the test of time. Oh, for sure. It's I mean, the, because, the nine sequels yeah. that come after, not so much, but the original. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the original. But like, you know, sometimes it's not the plot, like, people get so obsessed with plot and the the structure where it's like sometimes it's about the characters in that like we, we, you and i both love werewolves and we were talking about how american werewolf in paris didn't work as well because they're trying to tackle what american werewolf in london is american werewolf in london works so well but john landis said it's basically his remake of the wolfman <laughs> yeah like it follows the Wolfman beat by beat, but they are so different. And that's the beauty of storytelling. It's more oh, than just plot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. And even just tweaking, I mean, it's amazing. Like, even just tweaking certain details can make something feel different, you yeah. know? 
and until you, like as you said, unless you really sit there and just start breaking them down to bare bones, obviously, like a lot of people, you know, the skeletons underneath us all are all going to look similar. We all got exactly. the bones, but, you know, put the more superficial things on top, you know, you put the muscles, you put the skin, you put all, and we all look different. Exactly. So, and, and that's the beauty of art, the beauty of storytelling. Yes, theory, theoretically, if you want to be a dick about it, you can go in and explain why certain things are derivative or cliche. But, you know, sometimes... <laughs> well, there's I mean, all, there's I mean, there's storytelling tropes. There's always going to right. be things that are going to be in certain types of stories because those certain things help you know, evoke certain emotions, like evoke certain Exactly. Things. They've just been proven to work. And so any, I mean, Stephen King, I mean, is, uh, I mean, no pun intended, like the king of using certain tropes in his, yeah. but he makes them fresh. He's like, hey, this works. This is what you like. All right, let's do something different. Let's change it up a little bit. And those tropes are what make genre. Like, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and what I, uh, been a huge, you know, uh, movie nerd and, you know, I kind of did filmmaking and in, in college and stuff like that. And so the biggest thing I always learned and I find is, is that when you're working camera, if you're doing cinematography, there are rules you have to learn. You have to know how yes. to do certain shot, shot compositions, you know, camera movements and things like that. You have to be able to do those things. But once you know how to follow the rules, then you are able to find ways to break the rules. You can't just exactly. go out here and do whatever and say, hey, I'm filming. Well, no, you, you don't know what you're doing and why. And so it's the same with writing. I mean, tropes are kind of like rules in a way. Hey, certain horror movies, you're going to have this. You're going to have, you know, in, in slashers, you're going to have the jock. You're going to have his girlfriend. You're going to have yeah. the dorky girl. You're going to have this guy that knows everything, blah, blah, blah. And, and certain ones die in certain orders. But then you get movies. I mean, which are those are fine. But then you get movies like Cabin in the Woods. Hey, mm -hmm. we're going to take all those rules, you know, and, and sure, we're going to follow them. But then we're also going to flip them on their heads. Yeah. And totally make exactly. it feel like I, I love Cabin in the Woods like that one. I'm so glad that came out because I know like production wise, I had trouble and it sat on a shelf forever because yeah. they're like, well, I don't know if this is because like it, it's it's pretty brilliant in the way it plays around with the tropes, the things you see over and over in yeah. horror movies and kind of gives you like, hey, this is why these happen. Isn't that funny? You know, like it, it was just it was awesome. I loved that film. Thank God for Thor. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Because did they finally release it after Thor got big? Yeah. Because I yeah. know he filmed it before Thor, like right around yeah, the he... same time. So Yeah, and then Thor got big and it's like, oh, fuck, we have an Avenger uh, in our movie. Like, this might sell now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, and like I said, I think, I, oh my gosh, I think it's fantastic. I mean, all of it's just, like, yeah. like I said, that I could go on for that movie, but that, I love that movie. An iconic late 2000s film that kind of plays with tradition if you will tropes and such is the 2007 horror anthology trick-or-treat which we have gone <laughs> um i think 40 minutes without mentioning since the beginning of the e episode we are doing so good <laughs> oh hey that's fun and you know what's funny hey we we are that's not true we are we are building our road yes to destination yes we are putting exactly. this brick by brick because we talked about, we got to the point where we talked about Cabin in the Woods, about, like you said, you know, flip, you know, using tropes and flipping them on their head. But not only 
we brought up the point of it's troubled production. Well, what did Trick or Treat had? It's another trouble, mm-hmm. uh, somewhat troubled production, that, <laughs> and then a movie that sat on a shelf for a few years until they're like, "Hey, this will do good. Show it to people," and it yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> so, see, we are we are building our road brick by brick. Oh yeah, it, everything <laughs> happens for a reason, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I gotta ask, Trick or Treat is an iconic horror anthology. We talk about your horror anthology, Morsels. Did Trick or Treat have any influence on that? I mean, I would say yes and no. Is there any one in particular that in- inspired the story for me? No, but I, like I said, I, I love the horror anthology subgenre of horror. You know, you have the original Tales from the Crypts, Tales from, you know, there's like Tales from the Hood, Tales from the Dark Side, um, Trick or Treat. Uh, last few years, there was the, I'm going to get it wrong, Cameron, the Mortuary Oh, is it collection? a collection? I think it's, I haven't seen it, but I think it's collection. The one with Clancy Brown, right? Yes, which was, yeah. Clancy Brown was awesome in it. Mortuary Collection, yeah, we were right, yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Mortuary Collection. Oh, they just they have fun. They show that you said, you know, there's not just one story. There's a variety of stories you can tell through the horror lens. Um, so that's what that's what I love about anthologies. I mean, I feel like all of them have been inspirational to me. Creep Show is another one. I think Creep Creep Show is probably one that's been the most influential to me, mainly because I I, I don't know. There's just something about it I, I just loved about it. I mean, obviously it's Stephen King and George R. R. Uh, uh, you know Romero. You know, together, two kings of horror coming together to write that. Um, but what I loved about it, I mean, a lot like the, you know, Tales from the Crypt and the old DC comics is that they were they were scary at times and and just over the top goofy. Um, like, I love that about that. You know, I think like they, they were a very perfect blending of horror and comedy put together. Um, you know, some of the shorts maybe went a little more one way or the other. But overall, I think the, you know, it, it, it all fit. But I will say... Trick-or-treat is one that has definitely stuck with me. Now, Morsels isn't necessarily a good example of this, but what I adore and loved about Trick-or-treat that I feel like a lot of them haven't done or haven't done maybe as well is making all of the stories fit together. Like having that connective tissue of not only Sam, but, you know, the night of Halloween, um, kind of playing with the order of events that happen in the night. Like that, you know, it's kind of fun. So, and, and doing that, I feel like in the end, you know, all of a sudden you see everything coming together, but then it also is a, was a brilliant way of keeping you on your toes and not knowing what's going on, you know, what's going to happen to a certain character. So there's yeah. definitely, there's definitely a lot of inspiration. Like it was inspirational to me as a writer, but I would say if I had to pick just one that when I was doing morsels that probably inspired me the most, it'd probably be Creep Show. For sure. No, that makes sense. With trick or treat, something about that, and you and you talked about this already, but it, it just has what makes it so good is it it just really captures the essence of the holiday of Halloween. Yes, and us being uh, horror fans, we absolutely love that holiday. Oh yes, I love Halloween. Well, and what I loved about it is it made it feel uh, like kind of magical in a way mm-hmm. um like it captured the magic of halloween and kind of this you know maybe like these you know spirits that are behind it um yeah because even with sam you know in that beginning kind of that opening thread and you're talking about you know 
the woman just being like, oh, I want to clean up. I don't want to have to clean this up in the morning. You know, it's two in the morning. It's like, oh, no, no, don't blow out that pumpkin. But you blow out a pumpkin, you're not selling, you know, you got to celebrate Halloween. And, oh, whatever, right. and blows it out, you know, <laughs> kind of kickstarts everything. But yes, that's what I love. It It just, it had a, like a folktale feel to it. I guess gotcha. is what I kind of like about it. Yeah. I, uh, I love Trick or Treat for, because like, there's not that many movies that really captured that spirit i mean i know there's a whole ass franchise called halloween but they're they're not really about the holiday they're more about michael my even though i i actually watched halloween not that long ago uh last weekend i watched halloween and it made me it's april at the time of recording <laughs> and uh, it made me feel like i was in october so i think the original halloween captures the spirit of Halloween pretty well, but not like not in the same way trick or treat does. If definitely I'm making well, sense. No, I definitely feel you. Now I feel like part of that, what's funny. Um, and I don't know if you know about this and I didn't know about it until, I mean, it's probably been a little while since I've read about the you know production of Halloween, but originally Halloween was supposed to be a kind of an anthology movie series right and, yeah and so yeah and so like the first one was michael myers and you know they kind of did the second but you know they kind of kill him off and that's why ha like halloween three is is something different like the whole point was they were going to have a move a different movie each time and a different story but obviously it was set at halloween but you know right. people are like oh we love michael myers bring him back and so then they you know change that so i think that's why you know part of what kind of feels different but but i definitely get what you're saying yes i, I think trick trick-or-treat I think I think what I love about it is that it it embraces and celebrates the season itself, like the yes. night of Halloween. And the whole point is to say, hey, you know, this is a night. This is kind of a magical time of year, uh, uh, magical night of the year. And it's a time that, you know, monsters and ghosts and goblins get to run amok. And it's like, you know, you can either have fun with us and maybe we'll leave you alone or, you know, you can be the fuddy duddy and we'll, you know you know kill you off <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> do you have a favorite storyline from trick-or-treat oh man um they're all just so good they um, are it's hard it's a hard question <laughs> let's see i'm trying to think of all of them because you have and, and you know what's you know what i love about them too is none of them feel like it's hard to pick one because none of them feel that segmented like it all feels like one conjoined story and, you know, by the end with the way yeah, that they all start yeah. kind of connecting. Now, if you go by, I'm just starting to sound redundant, but if you go by twist and kind of the play on the characters, especially on a second viewing, I think the Anna Paquin storyline, mm -hmm. the, the girl going out here and talking about how oh, I'm scared for my first time and this and that, you think it's like, Oh, this poor little girl's yeah. going to get, you know, taken advantage of, and you have like the monster coming after her when really she's the monster. You know, they're all the werewolves out there. Like the I werewolf really fan one. picked the werewolf storyline. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> the next one is I can't think of the actor's name, but it's the. Uh, I do think it's funny that the principal, oh, who's oh, also um, a serial killer, but uh, but what's what's the actor's name? Dylan Baker. Yes, Dylan Baker's a good one. But I would say if you the the most fun one. I would have to be the Brian Cox with Sam. Yes. I mean, just Sam finally coming and like you getting like right. the full view of what this little gremlin is and, you know, scared <laughs> of Halloween and stuff like that. Him, him fighting him and just all of it's 
especially I think one of my favorite is just him to hold up that candy bar and he's like, what's yes. that? And then when you just see him unwrap it, there's a blade. You're like, oh. It's such a great visual. It's such a neat nod to that uh that uh urban urban myth, right? The razor blades and the which I know was a real thing, but it, it kind of got not blown out of proportion, but you know what I mean? Well, it's like, a, yeah. I mean, you could probably call it like, you know, it's one of those ur- urban legends or, or those warnings that you always hear that's just never gone away. You know, like it, it's right. It's almost like its own type of boogeyman, boogeyman story. It's like, don't right. eat your, you know, don't eat the candy. There's this and it and that and it, you know, maybe it, maybe that happened once, maybe happened twice. I mean, maybe it's right. happened a lot more and I don't realize it, but 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 it is it's it's its own kind of modern like boogeyman story that hey there's yeah. something in your candy or there's razor blades in your candy check your candy well sam sam knows where the good stuff is but uh <laughs> <laughs> but uh no i i love that segment so much my brain just made an unhinged connection i swear i've never thought of this before this moment and my brain just connected the the structure of Trick or treat reminds me of the structure of Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's the horror Pulp Fiction. I could, I could get behind it. It is a horror Pulp Fiction because Pulp Fiction is the same way. It Pulp Fiction is kind of like an anthology. It's these yeah. different stories. Well, the, it's non-linear, but they're all connected. Exactly. Yeah, and then the well, and it, it even plays with time the same way. Yeah, because I mean, if you think about it, like you know, you have that Julius, and then. God, I'm such a bad movie fan right now because I'm trying to think of Travolta's character. Uh, oh, uh, Vincent Vega. Vincent Vega. And so, you know, even at times where you know where his, what his fate is, but then like later you see him and he's alive again doing something else because it's gone back in time. And exactly. So you're kind of like, like, wait, didn't he just, oh, okay, this is before that. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I, I, you know, I, it's funny to say because I don't think I ever would have made that connection. But as soon as you say it, it's like, oh my God, it is. It's the Pulp Fiction of the horror world. <laughs> This came out of no. I literally just pulled this out of my ass. <laughs> like I, I've never had this thought before, and maybe I heard it somewhere, and it just came from my subconscious. I have no clue. I can't be the first person to make the connection. I just can't be. I mean, that's the first I've heard it. So, but I, I don't know if I heard it from somewhere, or maybe I am the first person. You heard it here first, guys. I am now a a film icon. But um <laughs> but no, I, I love that connection. I, I don't want to sound like an arrogant ass. Um I'm not trying to be <laughs> I am so smart. I love what I just but like I will never I will never unsee the trick or treat pulp fiction connect like my mind, you know the iconic <laughs> shot of John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson like in their suits shooting the guns. Mm-hmm. My brain is replacing John Travolta with Sam. <laughs> so it's Sam, oh, see, um, Sam and Sam Jackson. <laughs> see, what's really funny is uh, you started saying this and I, I started getting the, uh, the the parallel between um, Brian Cox and he gets the shotgun and he shoots what's his face in the uh, uh, shoot Sam in the face and kills him. And then you have uh, Vincent Vega get shot. And he comes out of the back. Right. So I mean, you kind of have little. <laughs> See, now I'm and, never going to be able to enjoy this movie the same way because you have put this connection in my brain. Hopefully, it makes you enjoy both movies a lot better. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, 
Uh, if it does, you'll have to let me know. And uh, if it doesn't, you'll have to not let me know. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would feel really bad if I ruined Pulp Fiction and our Trick or Treat for you. Because those yeah, are I'm sure. great movies. I, I don't think yeah. I have the power to ruin Pulp Fiction for anybody. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Yeah. But um, it's so funny because when you bring up Brian Cox shooting Sam in the face and then it's kind of the same thing where John Travolta gets shot coming out of the bathroom. My brain went to a different scene in Pulp Fiction where John Travolta shoots Marvin in the Marvin. face and his head. Yeah. It's like, dude, I just shot Marvin in the face. <laughs> oh, man, man. <laughs> oh, my God. So now I want now all I want to do is a Pulp Fiction trick or treat double feature. <laughs> I want to see a mashup movie somehow. <laughs> yes. Because I love coming up with these, like, they're basically the same movie, but they're not at all. Like I already said before, like, I love the Jurassic Park Frankenstein. Well, And what's funny is that's, another that's a one. great double I would, feature. I would make that connection. But like when you stop and I mean, it, I mean, it is kind of a mad scientist story of, you know, creating this right. life and this life basically saying, yeah, you don't control me. Yeah. You know, exactly do. so and, and and there's there's more i'm sure there's the obvious <laughs> ones like romeo and juliet and uh west side story or like hamlet and the lion king we really love shakespeare <laughs> yeah. now i have to ask you what's your for trick-or-treat what's your favorite segment i think i i have the same one and it's brian cox versus sam and then because i love it's such I think the best gags are in this segment. I think Brian Cox is such an amazing actor. I mean, okay, he is an amazing actor, but like in this scene, I just love his portrayal. And then the twist of him being the bus driver from like oh, a yeah. previous segment, I think, and that's why he hates Halloween. But then the for me, the funnier, the twist I didn't see coming, Sam just wanting the piece of candy. <laughs> Oh, yeah like the piece well, of candy like, appeasing sam like <laughs> well and it was it was almost like i mean he's just you know it makes you wonder is sam all-knowing you know because it's like in a way when it comes to halloween because it's like you know he punishes the one woman for not following you know the tradition right but even brian cox was kind of i mean i can't you know kind of get mad at trick-or-treaters and stuff like that so it was almost like he was just buying time or torturing him for fun and be yeah. like, oh, okay, I'll take candy. Because he's like, oh, never mind. You're real. I, I can't take away the revenge, you know, the revenge of these people that you've harmed. My personal reading of Sam is he is a true chaotic neutral. Yeah. And I think Halloween is a chaotic neutral holiday. Because yeah, there's cause, I mean it's because I mean, yeah, there's K I mean, I can see it. There there's horror, there's chaos, I mean, associated with Halloween, but it's not the holiday itself that's coming after you or doing anything to you. Right. You know, it, 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 it's, it's the evil that it attracts in a way or almost unleashes that kind of goes after, you know what I mean? That causes the problem. And I, I think the phrase trick or treat kind of highlights the chaotic neutral of Halloween where it's like, you're either getting a trick, which evil or a treat. Good. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and like, as long as you're celebrating, Sam will not come after you. 
He just wants to make sure everyone's having a good time. But if you're being a sourpuss, <laughs> then like, yeah, I think Sam is a chaotic neutral king. I don't think he's particularly malevolent. I don't think he's a Michael Myers who is the manifestation of evil. Uh, the other face of Halloween, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I even like about Sam, we kind of discussed this earlier, mentioned it, at least off the top of my head, when you think about all the different anthologies and either things that are the connective tissue or if you have like a host, Sam's the only one that's not afraid to get his hands dirty or paws or claws or however you want to put it. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> obviously, you know, the Crypt Keeper's just there telling you stories. Mortuary Collection, you know, you kind of have uh, Clancy Brown as, you know, this mortician and he's, you know, kind of passing on something, but he, you know, doesn't do anything. It's just, again, he's telling the story. You know, I, I think that actually the closest I would say, it's funny going back to this, if you want to go kind of the connective tissue would maybe be Creep Show. Um, mm. Because if you look in the first one, the kid and the animated sections, I mean, you know, he gets the voodoo doll and takes care of his dad with the voodoo doll. So maybe that's Sam's origin story right there. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I love that. I do want to ask, do you have any trick or treat or Sam like merch, like shirts or toys or whatever? Uh, you know, he is one. Do I have anything? I don't think I do, but. I have tried over the more recent years to hone in my collecting and kind of focus on just certain things. If not, I mm -hmm. just have things everywhere. <laughs> I have things everywhere. <laughs> and all kinds I have, of things. So yes. more uh, recently, I think I do more of um, kind of universal monsters, monsters, some werewolf. Like I have a Matt Ferguson poster for an American werewolf in London. Oh, hell yeah. Um, I mean, I've got like a little area that's like Tales from the Crypt Creep Show. I've got my stuff from Morsels. I I can show you in the bit, but one thing I'm actually really excited about, and it's not done, but I have almost all of like a, a headshot of all the Universal Monsters, but each one is drawn by a different artist. Oh, that's um, cool. So, so it kind of makes it like they're all black and white. So it kind of, I think, makes it like one full piece but then also different you know in its own right like i have um alex cormack did a wolfman for me which is awesome um and a lot of them are artists that i've worked with on you know morsels or other comics adam mm -hmm. cahoon i've got like the creature in black lagoon frankenstein yes. monster skylar uh patridge who's an amazing artist did the bride of frankenstein that's really awesome so i still have a few more to get but but yeah so yeah that, that's what i try and focus on but i do like i said sam's always in my heart in a way <laughs> and I was in the back of my mind. So for sure. A uh, reason why I bring that up is because I feel like it's kind of hard to find Sam merch, except it got really easy in the past few years. I feel like Sam merchandise has exploded in the past two or three years. Um, yeah. I think a lot of that too, you know, I've noticed a big burst. I think Bunko has been a big part of that. I think Pops yeah. kind of showed people that people are you know collectors are interested in these different ips and so then other ones kind of got into it because i know i think it was let's see i God, it is terrible that i cannot think of this <laughs> comic artist and writer but also has the like toy line and why can i think of him he's part of image did spawn oh oh 
Um, mm, Todd McFarlane. There, Tom, I, Frank Miller kept popping my head. I'm like, I know that's not right. Todd McFarlane. Okay. Like, I know they did. McFarlane did like the uh, movie Maniacs line. I think there's one of Sam, and I've seen some figures of Sam. Neca has done a one or two. Yeah. Um, but I've seen like Funkos pop up. You know, shirts and other things from Hot Topic. I definitely think uh, Sam kind of perfectly kind of pops back up around Halloween. Like you get, yeah. you know, I mean, you get like him popping up, you know, on shirts and things like that from Hot Topic and other things. I think right around Halloween time. And I think what makes Sam f- great is he is us us horror fans. We don't have too many cute icons. Most of them are, <laughs> you know, scary. Uh, whereas like Star Wars fans, Star Wars, we get Baby Yoda. We get R2-D2, uh, the Ewoks, the Porgs, BB-8, like a bunch of cute icons. If you're into Nintendo, there's. I mean, literally everyone's cute in Nintendo. Like, there's Pikachu and Yoshi, yeah. right? But you get, but at some point you had Baby Mario, Mario, Baby Luigi, yeah. like baby versions of them. Exactly. Yeah, same for Marvel characters. I mean, they've done, yeah, you know, cute versions of them, especially um, Baby Groot. <laughs> yeah, there you go, Baby Groot. You know, you got a lot of that. But yeah, Sam. But Sam is kind of the perfect, perfect version of Trick or Treat itself. You know, you have. Yeah you know the the treat which is kind of like oh he's so cute you know you get saying or you know mask off we get the treat you get the pumpkin exactly, that's gonna yeah. eat, you know eat you <laughs> and it's like he i think he's the cutest thing but when he's doing the fucking spider walk i'm like no no i'm horrified oh, yeah. i am s-c-a-r-e-d all capitals <laughs> <laughs> well and i can't remember i could be totally misremembering this but doesn't he almost do the um god why can't i think of the movie now god. i am uh, i have not on it tonight train spotting but the baby from train spotting when it goes up on the wall that's what i'm talking about like i was going to say yeah. he does like a version of that <laughs> that's what i'm talking about okay that's, that's what, what i'm talking about yeah um i just called it like a spider walk but um but yeah well and i think what makes him so small and quick because I feel like if he was really big, it would almost be like, okay, I can run away from this. But it's like, right? he's small. Okay, he's under the bed. Okay, he's out of the bed. You know what I mean? He's like all over. You just can't, you almost can't contain him. Um, he's also quicker. I, I think, oh man, I'm talking about horror movie tropes. Mm-hmm. The two that get me every time is either uh, when people are like scratching or trying to hold on and their nail breaks. Oh, yeah. Or um, the Achilles tendon, like anything like out there, it's like slice. Oh my god! Every time it's like oh, oh, oh. <laughs> another cute horror icon, Gage from uh, Pet Cemetery. Oh. Yep. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry, yeah. but that kid was so cute. <laughs> He's scary in the movie, but they oh, got yeah. a cute kid for it. But yeah, the Achilles. Yeah, you're so right. That <laughs> that gets yeah. That's a brutal one. But yeah, with when it comes to like, because there's not that many cute horror. Like, I know there's Baby uh, Freddy in Nightmare on Elm Street Part Five, but Baby Freddy's not cute. Well, actually, this pump head. Uh, I think even more Gremlins. Well, I was about to. I, I, mean, I was going to lead into like. I mean, you got Gizmo's I mean, the other, the other yeah. cute icon. Uh, but what makes Gizmo different from Sam is Sam is both cute and scary. Gizmo is a cute. Stripe is the scary. <laughs> yeah, it's true. 
But I think it's kind of like the same thing. Gizmo is a tree. Stripe is the trick. So that's how Gremlins is similar to uh, Sam, our trick or treat. I mean, and, you know, I'm glad you bring that up because Gremlins is another holiday film. It just happens to be a different holiday. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's amazing. At one point I was looking, it's like how many movies were set at Christmas? (laughs) Especially horror, uh, horror movies, but I mean, just just in general, yeah. you take the happiest time of year and let's make it, <laughs> you know, uh, scary or uh, brutal. <laughs> and, and I don't know if it's something you ask, and I may be stepping on toes, but just going for 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 the title and everything. If you were a character in Trick or Treat, could you survive? Would you make it to morning? <laughs> well, you and I are on the same page because I was just getting there. I was just. I'm oh, sorry, I didn't. Like I said I didn't mean to step you on. You are fine. No, you are fine. I like. I love this because. <laughs> Because normally I ask a question, we go over your answer, and then it's like, what would I do? But you know what? I'll go first. I'll go first. So time for the titular question. If we were in trick-or-treat, would we die? The first time I'm ever going first. So it's a would you die first for me. Oh, my God. I just said would you die first in two different ways at the same time. (laughs) We are unhinged today, and we are loving it. (laughs) This is one of the few cases where I would absolutely survive. Yeah, because, I, mean, I think if yeah. you know, I would have to say I agree. If it if it goes, I mean, the way I look at it is that if if I I would celebrate Halloween, I'd happily celebrate it and yeah. do what I'm supposed to and kind of follow those, you know, you know, the superstition. So obviously, I'm not. You're not going to find my my head on a pike, um, right? <laughs> uh, I would say I'm probably not the. Uh, <laughs> I, of course, now I forget the actor's name, but the principal, I'm, I don't think I'm his type either way. Yeah. Who he wants to kill. I mean, granted, maybe he's open to whatever, but it seems like he has two types, at least when they go for in the story. I don't think I would drive anybody, a bus full of people into a, yeah. <laughs> a pond. Yeah. Now, I will say, although if Anna Paquin or anybody else is saying, hey, come <laughs> to a party, I, I would probably go out to that party. So I, I think it, most likely... You know, if I'm a college guy, I, I'm I'm probably dying at the end of the night with them <laughs> in the werewolf you know in the werewolf scene. I'd probably be eaten. That's that's fair. <laughs> that is a fair point. I didn't think about that because uh, while I was in college, I did go to my fair share of Halloween parties. So <laughs> so if I were to die, that's probably where I'd go. <laughs> but you know what? This isn't the this isn't the werewolf cult episode this is the sam episode so fair enough i think you're right but at the same time we we're only worrying about sam and we don't got to worry about sam because we are uh celebrating halloween sam sam would be partying with us let's be real fair enough all right there you go sam would protect us from the where yeah sam would protect us from the werewolves because he'd be like nope they're dressed up they got their jack-o'-lanterns these guys are cool So it's uh, it's a very, very rare case where I feel confident saying I would survive because normally it's like the episodes on uh, the fucking xenomorph. Would you die? Well, fuck, yeah, it's a xenomorph. (laughs) I mean, you 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 got me at the chest burster because I'd kind of be like, what's in there? (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love Um, it. But yeah, yeah. where can 
the people find your social medias? See, I am on Instagram at uh, just J Michael Donahue and as same, I think, handle on Twitter, just J Michael Donahue. So yeah, I'm on both those. Um, yeah, probably more active on on Twitter. You know, I like to think I'm funny, so I probably <laughs> am not as funny as I think I am. But generally, I think what I really try and focus on that uh, people will look at my my Twitter, if you want to follow me on there, is uh, I really try and support not only my collaborators, because there are so many people that have made me probably look a lot better than I am. I mean, in this book and with other things, but just, you know, other other creatives, you know, I, I, if, if you're a good person out there doing the grind, like I want to, you know, try and do my part to get the word out. You know, for sure. Cause, yeah. Cause, Cause I like to say, it's like, you know, if we, you know, if we're not going to support each other, who, who is like, that's what we got. You know what I mean? We got to, got to get out there and help one another. For sure. Yeah. And yeah, I love that. And, um, uh, speaking of morsels real quick, uh, can you remind everyone how they can find morsels? Yeah, definitely. So morsels is actually going to be coming out this fall from Encyclopocalypse Publishing. I believe right now the plan is hopefully at the end of September, beginning of October. So perfect time for Halloween's when it'll come out. Um, but then I believe mid-May, uh, we will be starting pre-orders on the Encyclopocalypse uh, website. Um, and then I definitely suggest everybody, I mean, go check them out. Not even, not just for morsels, but they do awesome uh, novelizations of horror movies, things like that. They have original novels on there. Um, they are actually uh, expanding into comics. Um, I know right now they have awesome book by Rob and sorry, Rob, if I'm butchering your name, Sacito, I believe, um, Werewolf, which was originally, I guess, a uh, and this is a W-H-E-R-E -E space wolf. Um, <laughs> but don't worry, there are werewolves in it. So it's not <laughs> not misleading in any way. Uh, no, but it's, a, it's, it's an awesome book. And I guess it actually, from what I know, started as, um, I think, on Fangoria's website, just as kind of a, I don't know if it was weekly or monthly comic strip. And so once everything was together, Rob now has it collected and has partnered with Encyclopocalypse to put it out there. Um, so right now you can pre-order that on the site. And then I know I can't give anything away uh, because I would probably you know, be taken out, but I know they have some other really cool comic projects that they're, they should be announcing soon. So that's awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, everyone, you guys got to check that out. Come this fall. It's going to be perfect. Grab your copy of morsels and then, uh, put on your favorite Halloween movie, whether that be <laughs> trick or treat Halloween Tales from the Dark Side, Tales from the Hood, yeah. Mortuary Collection, Pulp Fiction, Creep Show, Creep Show Two, <laughs> Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Pulp Fiction. Yep. Uh, I, I See, I'm going to start putting that in my list of yeah. Halloween viewings, and people are going to be like, "What?" And like, don't worry, you know it makes what? sense. Prove me wrong. <laughs> uh, oh my goodness! Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a blast. No, not a problem. I had a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thanks again to J. Michael Donahue for joining me to talk morsels and Sam. This was certainly a treat. A reminder, I just launched a Patreon. Link will be shared in the show notes, but you can find it as patreon.com slash podcast. There are monthly bonus episodes, movie commentaries, and so many more perks. Plus, you'll be supporting your favorite monster kid, yours truly. I hope you consider joining, and to you lovely souls who have already joined, I love you. Thank you so much.
On this segment of I Know What You Watched Last Week, in which I tell you about the horror films I've watched last week, I didn't watch any horror films this week either. Who am I? I did see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 twice, and it is by far my favorite film of the year. Still pretty early, like we still got Indiana Jones coming out and some other bangers, I'm sure. But I, I'm in full Guardians mode, man. I loved it. Thought it was fantastic. I'm gonna go see it again. You can find the show's social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Would You Die Show. Also, now you can follow me on TikTok at Would You Die Podcast, where it's become mostly shit posts of gizmo dancing and random music I find. You can find the Would You Die YouTube show on the Three Wise Men Media YouTube channel, where you can also find professional wrestling, trailer reviews, and much, much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend Josie Palmer. Next week, I'm having writer, director, actor, producer, and now graphic novel writer Josh Rubin on the show. It's going to be a fun time. Until next time, I'm Austin Torres. Try not to die.